Welcome to A Writer in Italy, the podcast. I am your host, Michelle Johnston, and this is a little share in the world of travel, books, food, art, and lifestyle. I live in Australia, yet have long had an attraction to the Mediterranean countries for as long as I can remember. This inspiration has fueled my creative life and given me incredible joy over the years as an artist and a writer. If you are new to the podcast, Season 1 is the bookshare in the shadow of a Cyprus, an Italian adventure, and many, many other meanderings in books, art, and cooking, and indeed, the lure of Italy as the ultimate muse. You can find all show notes at michellejohnston.net. You can also find me on Instagram at a writer in Italy and at the yellow house underscore. Thank you for joining me. I love having you here for the journey of Muse Italia. Welcome to podcast number 22 and my little travel share that began in Padova in the Veneto four episodes ago. This is another excerpt from the travel adventure. I am jumping in straight away today, so here we go. Enjoy. There is no shame in admitting your interest in self-inquiry, nor the fact that you are a seeker of sorts and an open and curious being. I travel to get outside of myself, to disrupt routines and patterns and reactions. Tendencies a person in their 40s has racked up unconsciously and perhaps taken more seriously than one would dare to admit. I like to travel to test myself, to not shy away from a jilted conversation at the bar or at a cafe where only the natives sit. Yet mostly I travel to take in life, to see more, understand more and to see art in its myriad of forms. To taste the sublime in an unexpected moment is truly the gift of travel for me. So I wake up on this Friday, the 8th of March in the Veneto, with a quick knowing that we need to haul butt to get to the 10am train to Firenze. Staring at the moody fresco on the wall, I can't quite make it out. I think it is a garden, a paradisiacal world of architectural detail. A garden and an urn, an antique plinth, a fading beauty on the wall. We need to eat, drink and pack and tidy and search the apartment for the little things, especially those pesky cords that get left in hidden places. Before we head out the heavy iron door with the three locks, we are savvy movers now, marching past the salmon and ochre buildings I can't help but stop to take a few more photos of the canal Piveggio with the no Nazis scrawl on the bridge. It is a bright blue day and the shrine of the Madonna in a gilded cage catches my eye, but everyone is way ahead now. I stop for subway posters, advertising stands, random shops. Lucky we are early, it is not even 9.30 yet. And thank God we secured the tickets on the fresher Rossa train. That whole drama was fortunately sidestepped. Note from previous podcast. Once inside the station, I take myself to the bar to watch a creamy cappuccino being poured from a silver jug. 
and Rich sets himself up at the empty piano across the arcade. Next to him are the suitcases lined up and the three girls watching on, slightly embarrassed, but not surprised. Before we know it, he has attracted a crowd of onlookers. I should pass around a hat for donations, but I don't. I wander into the supermarket for salty chips and strawberries for the train journey. Grace tells me later that a woman watching had tears rolling down her face while embraced by Richard's rendition of a Philip Glass classic. The beautiful red snake of a train has rolled in, signposted to Rome. Oh, Rome. Next time, my dear Roma. We are off to Firenze. Always we are a happy family travelling in train. Often we catch the three-hour country train up to Sydney and enjoy the journey of country scenery. We can be in Sydney by 11am if on the early train. It is a charmed existence in our own little nook of the world. I stare at the green expanses, flat fields, the barest of poplar trees and get excited when we passed Bologna. In a way, I wish I was stopping there first. Although Rich was having none of that hop, skip and a jump mentality, wanting to put down some roots for more than one night. I get that. But Bologna in Emilia-Romagna is definitely on my next time list. Arriving at Santa Maria Novella, the station is always a wonderful jolt to my senses. We wander out and decide to stop at one of those station cafes. Vita Santa Margarita is a sleek design space with plenty of luggage room and a wonderful assortment of ready-made panini and pasticceria. We order pranzo and a brioche for a little treat and make our way around to the stalls. We have a little wait anyway to meet our house guardian on Borgo San Frediano. So this is just a wonderful stop before the next part of the mission. I am excited to see this apartment as it looked quite regal on the website. We meet a dark-eyed Florentine at 1pm. We enter the heavy doors to climb three flights of stairs and to find a neat little apartment styled in the colours of linen and stone, with ironwork detail on the upper floor where two of the girls will sleep. Rich and I have a lovely open room, but Maddie is the one to cop the fold-out lounge, which I must add she's not thrilled about. Always, the fifth child travelling is at risk of the dinky fold-out couch, which of course is sitting smack bang under a curling stairwell and is rather in a tight space. The Florentine warns us to be careful of the antique furniture, and I wonder why he has agreed to a family of five on the premises if that is a problem. I am also musing over the photographs on the website that visually declare this a spacious apartment. Dot, dot, dot. Yes, he must have a friend, perhaps a real estate type of friend, photographer, who knows how to take those wide angle shots that make you think a room is 10 metres squared and not three. Any disappointments are swept away when everyone is delighted to get some Wi-Fi action on their devices. The Wi-Fi in Padua was pretty much non-existent and here we are, switched on and catching up on everything and anything. I start checking out the map I picked up at the railway station and ponder a few suggestions on Emiko Davies' wonderful website on Florence's culinary scene. There are so many fine options, I am in awe. We finally get back outside and wander down to the Arno River to meet it properly after the great walk from the station. 
This is my third visit to the ambient and stunning city of Florence, the capital of Tuscany, and it feels familiar and wonderful all the same. We wander via the Oltrano district, and I laugh at Maddie, who looks like she's ready for a joust with her red tights. They are bright fire engine red with her Doc Martens, and definitely remind me of a flag throwing event that she may well be participating in later this evening. Time will tell. Standing on Ponte Santa Trinita and spinning the 360 degrees, it is a wonderful place to get a sense of this city. The bridge in Italian is named after the Holy Trinity and a church on the other side. In fact, this bridge is the oldest elliptic arched bridge in the world and was constructed circa 1500. I take a photo of the family, a perfect snapshot with the Palazzo Vecchio's tower in the background, a domineering presence in the skyline. We wander in that direction in search of Renaissance treasures and art on the streets of Firenze. Late in the 13th century, the Renaissance arts came to life. The poet Dante Alighieri had written the Divine Comedy, and Giotto's bell tower in the heart of Florence was nearing completion. Soon the Medici Empire began its reign, cementing Florence as a commanding presence, not only in Italy, but in the world. The House of Medici were a prominent banking family with Cosimo de' Medici, the leader of the family dynasty. Not only economically powerful, but culturally commissioning endless artisans to design and create art for the city. And fortunately for us seekers and museum buffs, the beauty of Florence is not only in its open-air museum-like qualities, great for someone needing to be a little frugal with their family, or themselves for instance, they can wander this city and not spend a dime if necessary. At the same time, the artistic treasures behind closed doors like the Academia, the Pitti Palace and the fabulous Uffizi are all collections that have remained in Florence. Not sold nor plundered along the way, the inheritance of this city's wealth stands magnificently within the city, which is a testament to the family of the rulers that dominated in the 14th and 15th century. We, of course, end up in Piazza della Signoria, and marvel at the display of possibilities in this lively square. I suddenly remember that in fact Richard and I's anniversary of 22 years is on this day, the 8th of March, and here we are with our three girls in Florence, Italy. What a miracle. I spin in a circle in front of the replica of David, the brilliant and stunning replica of Michelangelo's David in front of the town hall, Palazzo Vecchio a symbol of freedom for the Florentine people at the time. I like fake David, a fine replica indeed. He has been standing here since 1910 when the original was transported to the Academia Gallery. A wise decision, I would think. I am pretty sure the girls are surprised this statue is extremely naked and poised. It is a marvel, this piazza. Richard has walked away with Liv holding hands beyond the Fontana del Nuciuno, a beautiful fountain commissioned by Cosimo de' Medici in 1559 of Neptune, although this day we will not see it as partitions surround it due to the epic restoration that is in progress. Yes, a reminder that Italy is under permanent reconstruction. This detail dates back to my first podcast, in fact. Instead, a grand horse and cart is parked in front that awaits our departure. 
the mythical figures will have to wait for another time. Richard throws his arms up in the air for the shot. He is happy to be in Firenze, indeed. I wander past Hercules and Cacus, two statues designed by Bacchio Bandinelli, into the Palazzo Vecchio to gaze upwards at the incredible interior detail of the city's town hall. The golden frescoes that surround the room celebrate the marriage of the eldest son of Cosimo de' Medici to an Austrian Arctuchess. The frescoes painted by Giorgio Fasari in 1565 reflect the commitment to the Habsburgs' monarchy with images of Vienna and other prominent cities in Austria. The columns take your eyes skyward. They are adorned with gilt stuccos and certainly add a regal embellishment to a palatial room. Back out in Piazza della Signoria, the Loggia dei Lonzi is a testament to the artistic legacy of this city. Out in the open air, the wide arches welcome you to participate in the fine artistic heritage of this city. Perseus is my favourite, holding Medusa's head of snakes, a bronze beauty that symbolises more of the Medici's political power and influence over the city. Perseus certainly looks a little threatening with his large knife. He adds to a fascinating cast of characters that one can wander in and around under the Loggia de Lanzi in this wonderful square. Art at the time of the Renaissance was mostly influenced by literature, architecture, science, society, religion and philosophy. Renaissance essentially means rebirth and symbolises the rebirth of the original Roman and Greek culture that had existed thousands of years earlier igniting a classical and realistic approach to art that refueled Europe and set the stage for a dynamic shift in the consciousness over the next 200 years. Florence is known historically as the birthplace of the Renaissance, influenced directly by the wealth of the city's leading power and their willingness to flaunt that money and prestige with art directly. And lucky for Florence, the artisans were all living in Italy around that time, Italian geniuses like the before-mentioned Giotto di Bondoni, a painter and architect, Filippo Brunelleschi, architect and engineering force, Lorenzo Ghiberti and Donatella, both sculptors, Paolo Uccello and Fra Angelico, Philip Lippi, more painters of this period, and then of course the brilliant Botticelli, who was born in the middle of the 1400s. I sense he was hanging out with Leonardo da Vinci, who was ridiculously talented as an architect, sculptor and painter. A few years later, along came Raphael, another Italian painter and architect. And meanwhile, Michelangelo, a Florentine native, all came to the party to design, create and influence this city. So much so that Florence is still to this day a leading tourist destination for the world traveller. And here we are too magnetically drawn to Tuscany to wander the streets and breathe it all in. We continue on basking in the Tuscan light and wander to my favourite cathedral in Piazza del Duomo, the Cathedral of Santa Maria di Fiori, locally called the Duomo, that is named after Saint Mary of the Flower. It is not hard to fall in love with the spectacle that is this extraordinary cathedral, It presides over the whole city. I may have to leave this story for the next podcast, though, 
as the timeline runs from 1296 to 1887, when it was officially completed. Many things happened in that 600-year span, even the Black Plague in 1348, which took out much of Florence. We all certainly can relate to that ordeal, if you are a citizen of the world in 2020. We are saving the adventure for wandering up the 400 or so stairs to the top to see the views of Florence for the following day, so this epic story will have to wait. The girls trail along, perhaps a little overwhelmed with architecture and statues. Richard and I are beside ourselves looking at the neo-Gothic facade, the white and green marble, the detail, which cannot be expressed in words, you just have to see it close up. We wander on to Via dei Servi, a street that is familiar to me by now, and when I see the words Enoteca on the sign, I enter to see mostly an empty restaurant. It's probably too early for the natives, and we will sit on a large table with a view of the street. We enjoy some local wine, some insulata mista, a salad, and some lasagna afterward. The girls opt for more pizza margarita, and I wonder how many days in a row they will eat them. They are delighted, so no problemo. And I guess I cannot talk. I have surrendered to pasta every day, so all is well. We have a great family time and make our way into the supermarket nearby to stock up on the staples for Colazioni, breakfast. I see a familiar gypsy I sighted at the railway earlier that morning and laugh at the coincidence. We meander around the Arno in the dark now and I am so pleased to see it at night. Noble Florence, all lit up. Last time I stayed up in Fiasole, that little... Etruscan settlement up on the hill near Settignano. So this is, on a personal level, a sweet, sweet joy. Ta-da! That's the end for today. I thought I was going to go for two days in Florence with this particular episode, but I am done. Next time, Florence Part 2. Maybe a little chat about the Grand Tour and the Anglo-Italian experience that I have been strangely attracted to reading about for a few years now. I believe I shared some of this in podcast number six, and I may go back and listen to it, although that is indeed a form of torture. All I can say is it gives me some reassurance when I listen to a podcaster like Tim Ferriss, who has shared honestly how shocking his first podcasts were, getting drunk on some, having technical problems. So I am obviously in really good company. It is not that simple and it is a service after all, but I have very much enjoyed reflecting on this journey and love that I can just share it here. I have had some great ideas thrashing about for future episodes too, but first I finished this travel adventure I am taking us on We are going to head to Paris, so come along for the ride. I just thought I would be a bit quicker today, but what does it matter? We have time. My dream is to, in fact, get to podcast number 30 by the end of this year. Perhaps I am a little optimistic, but that is a good thing. I am still reading A Castle in Italy by Lena Waterfield before I go to bed. Her aunt was Janet Ross, who had a strong presence in the community of Florence once upon a time, and both of them wrote many books and articles on Italy, in fact. 
And on a more recent note, just uh, enjoyed listening to the book by Francis Mays, Every Day in Tuscany, Seasons of an Italian Life, which I listened to on audio recently while dealing with my wild patch of fava beans. The broad beans, in fact, are way out of control, as is the rest of my garden. But it's high spring and that is delightful. I have way too many now. In other words, they are taller than me. And I enjoyed listening to that book because it just reminded me of all the sweet joys of Italy. All there for the taking or the listening or whatever. So yes, I thought that was interesting that I timed that while talking about Toscana and all today. So on another note... COVID has obviously reared its big, ugly head again, and much of the world is struggling again. My heart and thoughts are with you all, wherever you are, and in Italy, of course, where I have focused on here today in particular, and anywhere on the globe for that matter, who has had their life turned upside down. Fingers crossed, this is all over soon. Until next time. Stay strong and well, and I will be back to share more of Florence, Luca, and Pisa. So I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Ciao.